enemy of God doesn't want you to serve. And it's going to kind of be a little bit of the, the topic today. Um, my junior year in college, I spent a semester in Israel. And before I went to Israel, I, tri- I, I landed in uh, Paris and ended up in Greece. And then I took a boat from Greece to Israel. And so I was gone. I was traveling or I was in class or I was digging for three months. So I was not in California for three months. And it was the time of my life. I mean, I just, I had, a, I had an incredible time. Um, I met some very important people, which was cool. Like in, in the academia world, I met some really important people. Um, I also met some very interesting vagabonds. And I met a lot of girls. So I was having the time of my life. And my, my semester was over, my money had run out, and um, I, was, I, was in a, I was in the airport ready to come home, and I remember sitting there, I mean, to this day, it's very vivid, I remember sitting there, and um, I was looking at the airplane, um, uh, what was it, I forgot the name of the airlines, LL, I think is what it is. They call it LL. So I was looking at the airplane, and I was like, I really don't have to come home. Like, I don't have to get on that plane. There is nobody making me get on that plane. And actually, I could live the rest of my life here. I like it here. This is a lot of fun. This place, and this is true, by the way, this place, Israel, is resonating with my soul. I feel like I am home. I'm a little bit Jewish, so it's kind of like a natural. I have a little tiny Jew inside of me. Little, he's got little, little red locks here. And, and so, I mean, I, I, again, I just, I, I just, just something about the land that just calls people to it. I don't. I can't explain it. It's it's weird, but I just you know. And and I looked like a little good Jew boy, so everybody loved me, and I got invited to weird dinners and stuff. And it's just like, and I could, you know. And I spent some time at kibbutz, which is like basically hippie communal living. And I was like, I could do this for the rest of my life. And I'm sitting there, and I'm rationalizing everything in my mind. Like, I, could, I, I can make this happen. In fact, I think God is telling me to stay. Ah. See, you begin to rationalize. I began to rationalize everything. I began to make up reasons why I could stay and not get on that plane and not go home and flunk out of college and leave my family and leave my friends and my responsibilities and my community, and I had it all figured out in my mind, and I even had myself convinced that it was God's will. Ooh. Yeah, what do you think? And I, ha- I was convinced. And then the next moment, I, just, I was on a plane flying home. And I don't know how I got on the plane. It was like the weirdest thing. I just all of a sudden, I'm like, how did I get here? Because I thought I was going to stay. I thought I was going to live on kibbutz, travel around Israel, go to Jordan, maybe go up into Turkey. I had friends. I I met all kinds of weird friends. I had met friends that I should not have been friends with. 
And we, had, we were making plans to go into Iran and to Iraq. Not for ministry, but to smuggle carpets. I'm serious, this is the way I work. Uh, yeah, I had it all figured out. I was going to be like the guy in Kung Fu, you know, go around and have adventures. That's what I was going to do. But I was on a plane coming home, back to responsibility, back to what God had really called me to do, which was to grow up, be a man, take care of my responsibilities, finish college, and begin to build the life instead of being a hippie traveler on a commune somewhere. Not that that's bad, I don't know. I mean, who knows, but that's not what God wanted for me in my life, even though I thought that that's what it was. And so get your Bibles out. We're going to look at this really amazing book of Jonah, about a fish that swallows a guy. Chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amatali. He said, go to Nineveh, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because, it's a wicked, because its wickedness has come up before me. So the, the, very, the wickedness of this civilization was coming up before God, challenging God's authority. All right? But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. So... God is telling him to go to Nineveh. He says, go east, young man. And Jonah does not go east. He goes in the exact opposite direction to Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain, possibly like Barcelona. It's, a, it, it's Club Med. So he chooses the opposite direction that God's called him to, and he chooses the easier of the two. I'll explain that in a minute. He chooses luxury, an exotic place, fun, and he had himself convinced that his will was better than God's will for his life. He went to, down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing about Jonah. He is a prophet. There is actually no prophecy in the book of Jonah. The story is about a prophet. It's about a backslidden prophet who is fleeing from the Lord. And guess what? Jonah knows the Lord. Jonah is a very successful prophet. He understands God's voice. So he has tricked himself. He believes his own lie. He has rationalized it out. This is where he should go. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such violent storm that the ship was threatened to break up and all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God. So he's on a ship full of pagans. Yikes. They threw the cargo over to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck where uh, he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. We're all going to die. Maybe he'll take notice and we will not perish. 
The sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible. Who screwed up? Who sinned? Why are we all going to die? Somebody did something bad and we're paying for it. Who's responsible? So they asked him, who's responsible for all this trouble? What, what, do, you, what do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew. At least he's honest. I worship the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea, and he made this land, so therefore, he has complete control over it. Interesting, huh? So he knows, he's got God's number. He knows who God is. This terrified everybody. They said, what have you done? You have screwed up. What have you done? The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down? Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? It's a big, giant sea monster. A whale, a big fish, comes and eats Jonah. Swallows him whole. Big issue, actually. Do we have any skeptics in the room? If we don't, you need to be friends with a skeptic. Maybe tell them this story. Invite them to church. But skeptics are welcome here. I want them in the building. I want people that question. I want people that have a half a brain in their head that think about this stuff. And chances are you've probably thought about this too. How in the world can a big fish eat a guy? That is impossible. Probably the last time you heard this story was in Sunday school because it's a great story. But the, the, the like, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but deep down inside, sometimes I read things like this, and I'm like, that is just dumb. And, and in fact, modern Bible scholars, maybe even you, you read this story, and you think, that's just not real. If, you are, if you've got to have it by the numbers, if you're, I don't know, whatever side of the brain that is analytical, and it has to have proof, if you are a black and white person, if everything needs to be spelled out correctly for you, this might be a difficult one because it doesn't make any sense. In fact, there's only one animal, one seafaring animal, that can actually swallow a man whole, and that is, um, what is it, a sperm whale. All the other big giant whales can't. I mean, they have the big mouth. They can actually get you inside of the mouth. They could probably get a Volkswagen bus inside of their mouth, but you cannot get past their esophagus. Their esophagus is about this big. So you're not going to end up in their stomach. It is, it is scientifically and physically impossible to end up in a blue whale's stomach, and blue whales are larger than dinosaurs. So you can't do it. Like even these really cool uh, uh, whale sharks, have you seen these? they got these big giant mouths. They're always eating scuba divers, and then they spit them out. So you just Google it. It's hilarious. There's always some scuba diver that ends up in a, in a whale shark's mouth. In the 1900s, there was a whaler in Nor Norfolk that actually got eaten by a sperm whale and ended up in, this, in the whale's stomach, and his friends cut him out, and he lived. It burned all of his skin he was blind from all the juices. He lost all of his hair on his body. So how in the world can Jonah survive three days in the belly of a whale? Well, this is where faith comes in. How does it work? Well, it could work on a lot of different levels. A lot of different levels. For us as believers, and we need to believe this one, 
but Josh, could it possibly be a made-up story? Because there's some stories in the Bible that are, that are parables, right? We're not supposed to take Jesus' parables literal because they're stories to teach us a lesson. So therefore, Jonah is just, it didn't really happen because Jonah is just a story. In fact, we don't even know if Jonah existed, but I'm telling you that he did. Because in, in 2 Kings 14, we have a Jonah. And I know that a lot of biblical names are, are, are very similar, but actually Jonah has the same father in the book of Jonah and in 2 Kings and Jonah served the king of the northern kingdom, King Jeroboam II, which we learned about when we went over Amos. So he's a contemporary of Amos and Hosea and Isaiah and all these guys. He went through several different kings. He, there was a historical Jonah. So, all right, well, what about this whole fish thing? Do we really have to believe in it? Yes, we do. Because Jesus himself said Jonah was swallowed by a fish. I might be able to push some stories into fable and fairy tale in the Bible. Like, I think we might have a little bit of room in certain areas. But this one we can't. You know why? Because Jesus says that Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Therefore, I am going to believe the words out of Jesus' mouth. So I think you should too. If you are a person of faith, take this story as true. So how did it happen? I don't know. God creates stuff. Like, he could have actually created a special giant fish that could have swallowed him and could have been an air bubble and he could have breathed and he'd been just fine. Or, I don't know, God's a, he's the master of space and time. God can actually time travel. So if you really need help, God could have transported a submarine from the future to the past to swallow up Jonah. However you need to do it, it can be done. Because God could do anything. And so this is a miraculous story. It's hard for people to get their heads around. Even in the academic, the you know, uh, modern Bible scholars actually have a term whenever they're dealing with difficult passages that deal with the supernatural or the miraculous. And if they can't explain it scientifically, guess what they call it? Oh, that's a Jonah. That's what they say. If there's something in the Bible that sits sideways, and if it's a miracle, if it's a supernatural, they say, oh, that's just a Jonah. You don't have to believe it. It's impossible, so therefore, move on. That's not what God's called us to do. God has called us to believe in the supernatural, and we've got to believe the story. It's real. It happened. All right. Dang it. All right, I think it's just going to have to be a skeptical message today. There's so much more. There's so much more. We're going to have to go, look, I, this is probably going to be the only book that I'm doing this with. We're going to go round two next week on Jonah. Because it's four chapters, it's a tiny little book, but it is probably the most important, well, they're all really important, aren't they? But this one is so packed full of amazing stuff, and you got to hear it all. You really, we just got to hear it all. Because it is so important for us as believers. It's so important for non-believers. It preaches the gospel message probably better than any other book in the Bible. So you've got to come back next week and hear part two of Jonah. But for the believer, for those that walk in faith, it is imperative that we believe that God works in supernatural ways. Now, this book is important in understanding who Jesus is because Jonah is a typology of Jesus. 
just like um, Jonah was in this boat and he fell asleep, uh, the same thing happens with Jesus. Jesus is in the bottom of a boat. There's a big giant storm that's happening. And both people run down and say, wake up, we're all going to die. And, and Jesus and Jonah, they wake up from their sleep. The pagans on the ship say, what do we have to do to be saved? You get this? The pagans... The non-believers that are crying out to their other gods, they are actually, their gods are not answering. And they are attaching themselves to Jonah's God. And they are saying, what do we have to do to be saved? And what Jonah says is there has to be a sacrifice. I am that sacrifice. How does Jesus save the world? How does Jesus save pagans? He didn't, he didn't get thrown into the, into the stormy water like Jonah did. But in a way, yes, he did. Because he gets thrown into the abyss. The cross is nothing more than a boat that Jesus gets thrown off into hell with. He dies off of that boat. He dies off of that cross. And both Jonah and Jesus die for sinners. It's an amazing story. So he's a huge typology. Uh, this, this story has got Jesus all over it. And Jesus and the apostles referenced this story. This story uh, was a favorite among the new church. And we think that the modern world makes fun of it. The ancient world, they were making fun of it too. The Greeks thought that this was a silly story. And in 300, around 300, Augustine actually had to deal with people making fun of the book of Jonah. Isn't that interesting? It happens in antiquity, too. There's people that make fun of Christians, the people that make fun of the Bible. But this was happening in the ancient time as well. Interesting, huh? So Augustine was writing a defense for the book of Jonah. Basically, he says the same thing. God's God. He can do whatever he wants to do, and you just need to believe. You need to believe in miracles. You need to push yourself into faith. Both Jesus and Jonah are in the belly of the well. Pure pitch darkness. And both raised from the dead. Both live a new life. Both are transformed. And we're going to talk about that next week. Jesus' transformation is absolutely amazing. We can't even come close to it. But what we can come close to and what we can identify with in a very tangible way, is the transformation of Jonah. Because, you ready for this? Jonah was, Jonah was raised from the dead too. I believe that he was swallowed by this fish. And I'll highlight this next week. Maybe you could probably research and figure it out yourself. He was swallowed by this fish, and I believe that he died in that fish. So if you have a problem with Jonah breathing an air bubble inside of a whale, I'm going to make it worse. Jonah died in that whale, and he was actually resurrected from the dead, and that's even a harder miracle to believe. But that's what I believe that happened, just like Jesus. On the third day, he rose, and again, uh, Jesus' transformation into his glorified new body was amazing. Jonah was like us. 
Even though he was transformed, he still dealt with issues, pain, disappointment. That's what we're going to talk about next week. All right, if I could have the band come on up, we're going to close it up. If I have the ushers come to the front as well, we're going to pray for this offering. God blesses this church, and God blesses you. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you need a miracle in your finances. Just put your faith in God. I know that that's a cheesy TV saying, but it's true. God is good. He cares about your situation. He cares about your needs. And he's just asking for honesty and faithfulness in everything that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for powerful testimonies. We thank you that when you call us and we turn around and go the other way, that you always follow us. That you always have this plan to correct us, to get us back on path. To say, no, you're not listening to me. You're listening to your emotions. You're listening to your will. You're listening to things that are not of me. You're listening to the easy path and not the hard path. And there are seasons when I've called you to a hard path. So, Father, right now, I just pray that we will just respond to your call. We'll be faithful. We'll be obedient. And we will put our trust and our faith in you even in the darkest times when we feel alone. Pray this in your name.